First Church Charlotte. I'm going to preach from this theme here today, one theme, and it is simply this, faithful, faithful, faithful. Elbow your neighbor and say, faithful. Praise God, praise God. Lord, would you speak to our people here today? Would you use my humble efforts? I'm over me, oh God. I'm over trying to be clever. I'm over trying to be powerful. I'm just trying to help somebody today. And I'm asking that you would speak through me in the name of the Lord Jesus as I try to do justice to your faithfulness here today in Jesus' name. All right, let's get started. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. If you are on a journey or you have to go on a journey with someone, well, let me back up and just say, if I tell you that you've got to make a road trip, there's really two two questions that are more important than any other questions. If I tell you, you have to make a journey, you have to make a road trip, there's two questions that should immediately come to your mind. Number one, where am I going? Somebody say, where am I going? And number two, who am I going with? There's some people I don't want to go on a road trip with. Go ahead and give me a good first church amen on that. Don't act like you're too spiritual to admit there's people you do not want to be stuck in a car with for hour upon hour. There are some people that I would rather stay home with COVID than go on a road trip with. <laughs> no lie. I've, had, I've been forced to stay home with COVID, and I've been forced to go on some road trips with people. And trust me, between the two, risking uh, fatal death is uh, a less troublesome uh, <laughs> uh, choice. Um, But if you know you've got to go on a trip, question number one is, where am I going? And question number two is, who am I going with? And so here we are thinking about this journey that all of us are walking with the Lord. We're thinking about this journey. Um, All of us came from somewhere. Uh, There wasn't all bad there, but there certainly wasn't all good there. All of us have wounds in our past. We've learned to cope with them. Coping is what you do when you can't find transformation. Coping is what you do when you can't find healing. Coping is what you do when you're forced to live with your best efforts. But when you call upon the name of the Lord, you discover there's something beyond coping, and that is spiritual healing. And I'm believing that in your life, you know the ones I'm speaking to, you know respectively in your heart, uh, your next blessing from God might be more than how to cope. It might be spiritual healing in your life. I want to try to take you on a little journey of scripture and church history to show you the faithfulness of God and to convince you deeply that no matter what comes your way, God will be with you, a very present help in time of trouble, a friend that sticks close. Am I preaching in the right church here today? A friend that sticks closer than a brother. God is committed to you. 
I didn't say you were worthy of it. I said he is committed to you. God is on your side. I didn't say you were worthy of having God on your side. I said God is on your side. That should produce, oh, I'm starting to feel the presence of the Lord here today. That should produce within you a certain level of spiritual expectation. I'm not saying you won't cry. I'm just saying your tears will have something added to them. I'm not saying you won't hurt. You will hurt. But I'm saying along with the hurt will be something spiritually added into that hurt. I'm not saying you won't mourn. You will mourn. I'm saying that it won't be the end of the story. (coughs) Excuse me. I'm reading Romans chapter number nine, and I am going to try to give you some insight into the Apostle Paul's writing. And before I start reading, I want to try to catch us all up together to this moment in Scripture. Romans is the Apostle Paul's, uh, what is the term, magnus opus. It's his biggest work. It is his most comprehensive theology. It is the most grandiose project of all his writings. And the result of that is that he is vulnerable in a way as he talks about the revival that has happened among the Gentiles and the rejection of the gospel by the Jews. Now, the reason why you should understand this is Paul's great desire was to see revival start in the house of Israel and then the house of Israel be those people that through fulfillment fulfillment of covenant then take the gospel to the world. And for a while it seemed as though this grand project for which Paul had risked everything, it seemed like it was going to happen. But as the children of Israel uh, were pulled farther and farther from their comfort zone, I don't have time to preach about this. I just want to say it is our comfort zone that keeps us from our breakthrough. They're pulled from their comfort zone. That comfort zone includes the way that their elders had done it, the understand, understanding that the generations before had had, and their comfort of ritual and, and social and religious expectation one from another, uh, one to another. This was a comfort zone to them. Let's not look down our noses at them. All of us have a comfort zone. And sometimes uh, that is a safe place to us, a reassuring place, and that's good. But sometimes it is a stagnant place, a self-limiting place, and that's bad. The difference can only be shown to us by the leadership of the Holy Ghost. It's the Spirit that guides you into understanding. Can I have a big amen? Lead us, Lord, by your Spirit. Don't let us make mistakes, God. Convict us when we're wrong. Correct us when we're in error. Open the Scripture when we misunderstand or misinterpret And let us have the humility to go back and learn and grow. And can the church say amen? Amen. So uh, 
Here is Paul. He has been giving the most consistent, the most concise overview of what has happened among the Gentiles through Jesus Christ for eight chapters. He starts all of them equal. Romans 1, all have sinned. There's no good and not so good, poor and failures. All, somebody say all. All have sinned. He starts us on level ground. And then he tells the story of the covenant people. How did that happen? Abraham obtained righteousness. How? Through faith. Through faith, he obtained a righteousness that had been given to him. This patriarchal covenant with Abraham would grow into the house of Israel, a way of being, a way of doing, but it was all made possible through a faith in God. Abraham believed the Lord and it was imputed, it was gifted to him as righteousness. The Jews for a while had went along with this. They had been moved by the story. The early church is a story of Jewish faith. But over time, that changes, and the Jews more and more reject, not because they were uniquely evil, they were just people, uh, but because the stretch between where they were comfortable and the new thing that had been prophesied by their own prophets got to such a point that they would rather be wrong and comfortable than right and uncomfortable. So much of spiritual disciplines is us learning to make ourselves uncomfortable. I don't, my bed's warm in the morning too. I don't want to pray. I have entertainment options in the afternoon too. I don't want to study. Do you see what I'm saying? Any one of you could say this. I love food with a fervency that is even surprising to those who also love food. I will want to go somewhere and tease with my children how when we get there, we're ordering what? Everything. Uh, I don't want to fast. Do you see how spiritual disciplines are a choice to make yourself uncomfortable? A choice to in some way discipline yourself and say, I'm not just going to float along the current of this social cultural moment. I am choosing to be a child of God. This was a stretch for them and they began to reject until really at this moment, Paul is writing to the church in Rome. Even Paul is losing faith that the future of the church is Jewish. Even Paul is beginning to believe that the future of the church is Gentile. More, Paul is beginning to see in prophecy how that was always going to be the case, and it breaks Paul's heart. He gives the story of how it should have began in Israel. 
It did begin in Israel, but it could not stay there because they chose comfort and peer reassurance rather than change and a new thing in God. And none of us are better than any of them because all of us seek to be reassured in our way. And so Paul says, having given a truly magisterial theology, a stunning insight from Abraham to Christ until he ends up in a confession of the human condition, which goes like this, even when I try to do good, evil is present. What are you doing, Paul? I'm making a confession of the human reality. Even when I try to do right. There's a vanity within me that'll turn a good thing bad. <clears throat> Who is going to deliver me from this spiritual death that my flesh wants to live even while calling it sacred? My flesh wants to turn a good thing evil. Who is going to deliver me from this? And he gets to the high note of his theological symphony and he says there is therefore now, no condemnation to them. Mm. Man, if I could preach good, people be swinging from these projectors up here right now. There is therefore now no condemnation. A minute ago, he's saying, I'm trapped. And now he's saying, but Jesus. I have no solution to me, but Jesus. Oh, this is the very essence. Man, that's some good news right there. That is some good news. I am not the end of my plan for me. I need to call upon the name of the Lord. I need to call upon the name of the Lord. If you will, there is therefore now no condemnation to them. Mm, praise God, somebody who walk not according to the flesh, but after the Spirit for the law of the which was in Christ Jesus, free from the law of sin and death. Paul, what are you saying? Oh, I'm saying everything Paul says. But right after that, right after the high point of Paul's theological brilliance, He says, chapter 9, verse number 1. All right. He has catches his breath. I tell you the truth in Christ, I am not lying. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren. My countrymen, according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom pertain the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the service of God, and the promises, of whom are the fathers, and from whom, according to the flesh, Christ came, who is over all the eternally blessed God. Amen. But they have rejected him. I see clearer than I've ever seen. But the people I wanted to take with me could not make the journey. And it stinking breaks my heart. Yes. I wish I could do something to 
to help them. If you spend time with a redeemer, it'll give you the heart of a redeemer. I wish there was something I could do. And so uh, he then talks uh, about the rejection of uh, the Jews. And he, for the first time, begins to quote the scriptures that prophetically says and shows this was always coming. 25, he quotes Hosea, I will call them my people who were not my people. That's the Gentiles. And her beloved who was not beloved. And it shall come to pass in the place where it was said to them, you are not my people. There they shall be called sons of the living God. Hosea, one of the prophets of uh, the Hebrews. Then he quotes Isaiah. Though the, this is verse 27, though the number of the children of Israel be as the sand of the sea, the remnant will be saved, for he will finish the work and cut it short in righteousness, because the Lord will make a short work upon the earth. Uh, This is the broken heart of the Apostle Paul, where he is having to accept that um, the people that he is uh, ever so uh, desirous to see saved, they cannot walk with him. And he does not move on from this. He lingers. Now we're in the next chapter, chapter number 10. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. Paul, you've already preached that. I know I've got something else I want to say on it. That's good. You've already preached this, Paul. I know, but I'm not done. I carry it every day of my life. It weighs heavy on me every day of my life. I can't just throw a Holy Ghost party without thinking the people I wish were a part of the Holy Ghost party. It's my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel to be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness, they would disagree with that. They would think righteousness was of their law, the things of their life, the way they went to the temple, the way they paid alms and or gave alms and paid temple duties. They would have all of these lists and they would say, this is God's righteousness. And Paul's saying, no, no, all the stuff you do is not God's righteousness. You, you are ignorant of God's righteousness and you have a zeal for God. You have a, a zeal for God, but you are ignorant of God's righteousness and you're seeking, Paul says, to establish your own righteousness. And because you have chosen your own righteousness, you have not submitted to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law. For righteousness to everyone who believes. Moses, who you guys are so loyal to, he wrote about the righteousness of the law. The man who does those things shall live by them. But the righteousness of faith speaks in this way. Do not say into your heart, who will ascend into heaven? Quit trying to figure out who's going to heaven. (laughs) 
would you know? You would have to know their heart and you don't even know your own heart. Do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down from above. Or who will descend into the abyss? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. There is something happening in you. There is a work of the Holy Spirit in you. You need to let it spring up in you. You need to let this word flow out of you. What is faith? It is to believe things that seem impossible to you. And you let this faith not just live as a thought experiment, but you let it turn into word. And just as the word of God spoke over the chaos of a dysfunctional world that had no order or form to it, and he said, let there be, and the spirit of God began to move on the water. So your word is spoken of faith into the chaos of your world and God begins to move in your life. Everything begins with this word you speak. Everything begins. It begins with repentance. And then you, like all the people of the word of the Lord, in some way begin to call upon the name of the Lord. Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. What are you doing? This is all I know to do. I don't have 17 volumes of systematic theology, but let me tell you what I know. I'm going to call upon the name of the Lord. Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus! What does a sinner do at an altar? They confess their sin. They call upon the name of the Lord. I know without you I have no hope. I know without you my life's a mess. I repent from the mess I made. And I ask for you to come into my heart, oh God. I ask for you to wash me and cleanse me. And so Israel has rejected, verse 14, the gospel. We're still talking about Israel. How then shall they call on whom and on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And so you would think that Paul in his brokenness, his brokenness of heart and life and spirit uh, for the house of Israel, you would think that this would be the end of the story. Uh, He is seeing how the moving of God has continued and he has accepted the reality of this moving of the spirit of the Lord and having accepted that you would think he would simply say okay well that was that and now we get to chapter number 11 and he's still talking about Israel I say then has God cast away his people I say then, this is verse one. I say then, has God cast away his people? Oh, certainly not. 
For I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not cast away his people whom he foreknew. Or do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah, how he pleaded with God against Israel, saying, Lord, they have killed your prophets and torn down your altars, and I alone, alone and left, and they seek my life. Verse 4, what does the divine response say to him? I have reserved for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. Even so then, at this present time, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. And if by grace, then it is no longer by works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. Paul, what are you saying? This is what I have taken you on this journey for. I want you to see, if it is possible, I want you to see the faithfulness of God. You can reject him. You can refuse him. You can lie about him, but he's committed to you. You can kill the prophets that he has sent to plead with you. You can slay them in the high places of Jerusalem if you choose. You can join together with a group of uh, those who would reject and hate, and you can try to kill him. You can try to ensnare him. And even in your folly, even in your confusion, even in your error, even in all of that you have done, he is not giving up on you. He is committed to you. Finally, you can take him and you can take him before a court and accuse him of something he hasn't done and you can begin to beat him. You can mock him. You can spit upon him. You can take blacksmith tongs and twist it in his beard and, and pull the, the, the hair out by its root. You can beat his back until uh, it is enough uh, lashes to kill some people. Um, on average, about one in ten of people who received a cat of nine tails uh, would die from it. That's why they, they gave uh, the stripes that they did, uh, 39 stripes, because that was the limit where people would start dying. You beat him until he's nearly at the point of death. Further, you make him carry his own cross until his body fails him. You take him to the top of a hill and you lay him out on the cross. He won't fight you. He won't wrestle against you. He won't curse you. He will speak temperance to the war bands of angels who would love to have you in their hands. And he'll say, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. You can drive nails through his hands. And you can lift him up, the just for the unjust. And you can make a joke of his death. You can write your own mocking signs and put above his head. But here's the thing about God. He said, you were worth it. And you can't talk him out of it. Elbow your neighbor and say, God said you're worth it. God said you're worth it. Now, let me talk about the faithfulness of God. And I want to do it in a generation where there seems to be so little faithfulness. There seems to be so little loyalty. There seems to be so little commitment. 
People will use you for what they need you for. Institutions will use you for what they need you for and lay you off without a, not, a, a, a single thought of worry. They'll, give, they'll take your whole life and they'll, they'll trade you in for a vote. <clears throat> and you live with this increasing sense of isolation and you are utterly unprepared to see that God is faithful. Amen. And you could... <clears throat> Strike him, but he does not change his mind. One of the great sadnesses of modern, this moment of, of American history, um, is this, this reality. Um, there is a big difference between disagreement and hatred. There, there should be a big difference between disagreement and hatred. Um, our social and civil life seems to have confused that idea. And the moment someone disagrees with you, their human connection with you is cast aside and they treat you as though they hate you. And all you did was have a different view on a particular theme or subject or political hot button of the day. Now, they don't just disagree with you, they hate you. I wish I could say that was only true in the realm of unbelievers, but unfortunately I'd have to uh, tell you that there are churches with this culture. The moment there's a disagreement, you become utter abomination and they turn from disagreement to malevolence. What is malevolence? It is the desire to harm you. They will, you had a disagreement about something and they attack your character. They tell, the, they're willing to tell lies about you. They're willing to emphasize the worst possible thing about you. My brothers, my sisters, aren't you glad that God can disagree with you without being disloyal to you. Because if God treated you on the basis of disagreement as if it was malevolence, oh my Lord, who could stand? But in our error, the love of God still reaches for us. And in our wrong, the embrace of heaven still holds us close. God save us. One of the things about family is you can get on my nerves, but I'm not going to hurt you. Can I have a better amen over here on that side? Right, thank, thank you very much. I can, you can get on my nerves, but I don't want to hurt you. I might need a break from you. Somebody say amen. But I don't want to hurt you. I may disagree with you, but I don't want to hurt you. I may have different opinions than you. I don't want to hurt you. I'm not taking disagreement to malevolence. Aren't you glad that God knows how to disapprove without killing you? God knows how to disapprove without harming a hair on your head. In fact, God can disapprove of you and still be committed to you, still embrace you, still forgive you. I want to tell somebody right now, all my life, God has been faithful. I've done some dumb things. Not as dumb as you, but some dumb things. That's funny. I don't care what y'all say. I've done some dumb things. I have true confessions. True confessions. I still wake up sometimes at the night and remember something I did and feel dumb. I just want to... So I wake my, wake my wife up and she slaps me for me. I'm like, honey, this will bless both of us. She's like... Lucky for me, she doesn't know how to hit. 
I'm just having fun, just having fun. Wives, don't beat your husbands. You know who you are. <laughs> Marriage moment counseling here. Maybe some Washington State drama happening over here. Just let that be a blessing to you. Notice that he's on this side of the church and she's on that side of the church and the mamas are between them. This sounds like a trouble if I've ever seen it. <clears throat> the first four years of the marriage, I side with her. That's the bad news. The good next news is all the years after that, I side with you. <laughs> Oh, moving along here. All my life, God has been faithful. I have done dumb things, but God still meets me at this altar. I have hidden sin, and God still meets me at this altar. I've lied about how good I am. God still meets me in the altar. Sometimes uh, with friends like me, God didn't need enemies, but God still meets me in the altar. I've held the hammer and the nails in my hand, but God still meets me in this altar. I've lifted him up, the just for the unjust, but God still meets me in this this altar. Paul, you've spent chapter after chapter talking about how they've killed his prophet. You've talked about how they've rejected his truth. You've talked about how they crucified the Lord of glory. Paul, is that the end of the story? Has God cast away his people? Paul says, no, 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 no. Certainly not. All my life you have been faithful. All the dumb stuff I've done. All the self-service I've done. All the lazy stuff I've done. All the wasted times. All the wasted years. All my life you have been faithful. I've come to tell somebody that you know the most effective spiritual weapon formed against you is the devil showing up and telling you what a disappointment you have been to God. And every time you try to step out to do something, uh, hell is right there to point out the disappointment you have been. But I have an answer for hell. And when hell says you've been a disappointment to God, I say yes and amen, but that's not the end of the story. Will God cast away his people? People. Most certainly not. But he has made a way where there seemed to be no way. Where there was no hope, God stepped in. When it seemed like the enemy would destroy, God held back. I'm almost done. Musicians, you can come. So, faithfulness. Believe it or not, there is a good bit of theological debate over how we interpret faithfulness in the New Testament. If you haven't figured it out yet, um, if you take four theologians and give them a scripture and lock them in a room, how many opinions do you have in the room? Four. No, you have five. Because <laughs> one of them's crazy. <laughs> Theologians are like economists. They say this, 
and it's never the end. Then they say, on the other hand. (laughs) Now, why is this a deal? Because here's the thing. God is bigger than my comprehension. And so if God is as wide as the sky, my vision is like this. Judgment, 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 judgment. No offense to this side of the church. Judgment, judgment. Oh, grace, 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 grace. Oh, judgment. Oh, grace. Works, 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 works. Faith, 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 faith. Um, There's this debate over faithfulness. Because here's the thing. Faithfulness has this element of belief. You get it? That's why the root word is faith. It has this element of belief. But what does God have to believe when he knows everything? How is God faithful? He doesn't have anything he has to choose to believe. And you say, oh, but it can also be interpreted as loyalty. Yes, that's true. But there's better words for just loyalty. (laughs) Do you see what I'm saying? And that's not what they use. You say, oh, it could be allegiance. Yes, that's true, but there's actually better words for allegiance. How, How can we say that God is is faithful. Um, I, I finally found a fairly good explanation of this difficulty. And it goes like this. You will not be satisfied because it's not simple. Some of you will be happy because it's complicated. Some of you will say, there goes Pastor Nate again. Can't you just tell me how to get a blessing? Okay, all right. When subjective belief marries objective reality, on one hand, there is the experience. On the other hand, there is faith. So let me say it this way. For God to be have faithful to you and yet know everything, it goes like this. There is who he thinks you can be that's married to who you actually stinking are. And they are being compressed together into faithfulness. Let me say it this way. God believes in you. God believes in you. When you don't believe in you, God believes in you. When you don't think you'll make it, God thinks you're going to make it. The faithfulness of God is him accepting. Are you ready for this? Him accepting the uncertainty of your crazy hide. And so when he says he'll do it, honey, he will do it. And when he says he will be there, he will be there. And he says he will make a way, he will make a way. He is faithful. I've never seen the righteous forsaken, David said, or his seed begging for bread. Faithfulness is when somebody shows up. You didn't expect it. Let me real quick tell you a story. I love this story. I was thinking a lot this week about how to put this into a a story that that, that you would have heard about, like a historical thing to demonstrate faithfulness. So I want to tell you, 1925, there was an outbreak of diphtheria in Nome, Alaska. Nome, Alaska is way on the backside of frozen nowhere, okay? And uh, a thousand miles from Anchorage, Alaska, there was an outbreak. There was one doctor, I believe his name was Welch, Dr. Welch, if I remember correctly. And he saw it had first 
infected the children of Nome, Alaska. This terrified them because diphtheria is two to three times as lethal in a child than it is in an adult. As an adult, um, it's about... um, it's about 10 times more lethal than COVID. Um, diphtheria isn't an adult. It's about 10 times more lethal than COVID. Um, but in a child, it's two to three times as lethal. And he saw he saw the signs break out in Nome, Alaska of diphtheria. And he had immediate panic. And he asked the city to quarantine. Of course, nowadays, we would have spent two years fighting over it and all died from diphtheria. But back then, I guess people just trying to work as best they could. And Um, They went into isolation, but the children were already sick, and there was a problem. The children all played together. And he was thinking in his fear and in his worry that that all the children of Nome, Alaska, who all went to school together, who all played together in a small town, they knew each other. They were going to die of diphtheria, all because he did not have the serum, the, the correct vaccine that would save their lives. And he sent an emergency text, not text, we're way too modern nowadays, an emergency telegram, close enough, right? Text, telegram, only about 100 years between them. And uh, that's not much, right? And so he sent a telegram to the governor and explained the situation. And they began, the state of Alaska began this emergency. How do we save the children of Nome, Alaska? There was a problem. The nearest train station was 700 miles away. The harbor was frozen in. No ships could get there. And they had, no. this is 19. 1925, the only planes they had were open cockpit. And in Alaska, it was impossible for anyone not to freeze to death at this time of the year in an open cockpit plane where the wind would be 60 below and the windshield could be some ridiculous number into the hundreds below. They could not survive. And this cry went out, how do we save the children of Nome? And someone had an idea. The dog sled, the mushers they call them, who drive dog sleds. Let's send out a call all along the line between here and there to ask for mushers who will take a relay and they created today it's the Iditarod race celebrates this they found they sent a call to everyone who could and these men they weren't like hobbyists like they are now these were working individuals and it was their business they did it for businesses government they carried mail and they became famous because they had races back then too they I, I don't remember exactly how many it was maybe 25 teams split up the 700 miles between, I believe it's Nanela and Nome. Nanela was where the, tri- the, 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 the railway ended. And so they took 25 pounds of serum. They took 25 pounds of serum from uh, that they had in um, Anchorage, Alaska. They wrapped it up in furs and they put it on the train. And as soon as that train pulled into Nome and the whistle blew, a conductor leapt off the train and he ran, ran as fast as he could carrying this fur-wrapped serum. And there was a sled waiting for him right by the, the railroad tracks. And he handed it to the musher and the musher started his dogs and they took off. It was terrible weather, that, that, that terrible weather. Um, 
uh, 70 below, uh, so cold they couldn't run the dogs because it would kill them to run. How did it kill them? Their lungs froze when you ran the dogs in that cold, so they had to trot the dogs. They had to hold the dogs back. It was so cold. Uh, there's various stories to come out of it. They made the first 20-odd uh, miles of the relay, and they, the next sled was already... These people had responded to the call, and they had raced from all over Alaska. They had received, and they had raced toward the trail line, the Iditarod. And as soon as they got to the trail line, they would be a, they, they would wait, 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 wait. They'd get the package and they'd take off. They'd go as fast as they could go, as fast as they could. All kind of dramatic things happen. Um, one, one, I don't remember his name, but one of the, the mushers, uh, the, the sled dog drivers, um, they were behind and he decided to take a terrible chance and cut across the ice. It was right at the time of the year it would break up. And he cut across the ice in this time. It was 70, the, with, it was 70 below on the ice. He could not stay warm on his sleigh and he started running because the dogs were trotting. They weren't running at this point. He started running beside the sleigh trying to stay warm so he wouldn't die. Then as the wind began to blow, he couldn't see anything. Was utter, he was lost and his lead to slay the uh, sleigh dog actually knew the journey. They had made it before when before the break up season of the ice and so the dog literally took him across the ice by smell and got him to the other side and when he got there he got there there was uh, no one waiting for him because the weather was so bad and so he went on again the longest single mile was 96 miles where they went and they went and they went trying to trying to stay warm another another uh, 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 musher actually was caught in a storm and the wind was so strong it blew his his sleigh over uh, the sled over and I guess Santa has a sleigh and a musher has a sled I don't know anyway the elves were panicking <laughs> uh, it blew it over and he saw this fur wrapped serum 25 pounds of serum go tumbling out and into the snow and he as fast as he could he got the the, the dog stopped and he went back and he couldn't find it and he's panicking after all of this they lose the serum and he took off his gloves and he began digging in the snow and finally he found he found after digging with his hands in the snow he found the the, the serum got it back on the sleigh they took they, they took off again here here here's the thing that I want you to see they are are running at their limit. Let me give you an example of this. Um, the Iditarod race for a single sled, the world record is like eight days, I think. That is now with dogs that have little uh, feet pads to protect their paws, that uh, there are even rumors of doping among the dogs. Oh, imagine. Now the sleds are not made, they're made out of high-tech materials and they're super light now. The record now is like eight, seven or eight days with all of our advancements, with breeding dogs, different species, trying to, they, they, this was before then. And these men did this race 700 miles across, going as hard as they absolutely could. They did it in a little over five days. And the only way they could do it is like a relay ray, race. If it's a two mile race, I've got to run at a certain speed. 
But if I just have a leg of it, I can give it all I've got. But let me tell you the weakness of a relay race. After you have given everything, there has to be someone there to take the baton. The race is impossible if there's not someone there to take the baton. I can give it everything, but here's the risk of me giving everything. When I get to the end of my section, I have to give this to somebody. If I keep going, it's going to, I'm going to die. There was only one team that could not make it because of weather. And it was the most, uh, and that was the one I think who did the long, um, no, 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 that was a separate one. The, 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 the one who ran two, and he was the most famous musher in Alaska. He ran two, and uh, it, it nearly killed him. Um, four dogs were killed making that run. Um, but the thing I'm trying to say, the thing I'm trying to say is a relay only works. I can't give it my all if you're not going to be there when I give you the baton. So the ultimate act of faithfulness, I think, is after you have given everything, can you rely on the next person to take the baton? If So let me describe faithfulness this way so you'll understand. After I've given everything, I've got to know There's no point in me running myself nearly to death if you're not going to be there. There's no point in me running my sled dogs to death if you're not going to be there. There's no point of me taking crazy chances across the sea ice. There's no point in me running beside the sled at minus 70 so I don't freeze to death. There's no point in any of it if you're not going to be there when I pull into the next stop heart is hammering and my legs are trembling and my dogs are collapsing you got to be there and when I stagger into that point I'm going to take this serum and I'm going to give it to you and it's your turn to run with everything you've got and if you'll do it we've got to depend on the next guy he's got to be there he can't be at Starbucks taking a break (laughs) can't be in Florida at Six Flags or whatever's in Florida. Who knows? He's got to be there. God, if I give my life to you, I want to know you're going to be there for me. All my life, he has been faithful. I've got to know, Lord, when I give my children to you, I've got to know that you're going to be there, Lord. All my life, he has been faithful. When I turn from the values of this world and try to take care of my life through the things of the world and I give it all to you, Lord Jesus, I got to know you're going to be there. In fact, God won't just be there. Are you ready for this? He'll be there even if you aren't. They've killed your prophets, Lord. They lied about you. They crucified you. They hung you between heaven and earth. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Even if you're not there, God's going to be there. He is faithful. Stand with me all across the house. Lord Jesus, I bless your name in this house right now. 
I thank you for your goodness here today. I thank you for your goodness here today. You are a friend that sticks closer than a brother. Lord Jesus, I want to say thank you for every time you've been steadfast, unmovable. I want to say thank you for every time you've washed away my sins, every time you've met me at an altar, every time you have wrapped your arms around me. I give myself to you here today. Would you like to step out of the chair you're in right now? Would you like to come down to the front? If you'll come down to here, would you just lift your hands in a sign of surrender to God and say, Lord Jesus, I give myself to you today. I want to say thank you for the faithfulness of your promise. I want to say thank you for the faithfulness of your word. Those of you who are here today, if it's been a while since you've repented, I'd like you to, wherever you are, I'd like you just to take a moment right now and repent of every error, every wrong, every sin. If you've been struggling with doubt this year and you've been wrestling with doubt, I'd like you to recommit yourself to God right now. You, you know who you are. Let's, let's not play games with God here today. You know the struggling with your faith. Recommit yourself to the Lord right now. Lord Jesus, I want to say thank you for your goodness in our lives. I want to say thank you for your blessing upon us, Lord Jesus. I want to say thank you for keeping us. We are unworthy of so listening to First Church Charlotte. If this podcast has blessed you, please rate it with four or five stars. By doing so, you will help others find our free podcast and bless them. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, come worship with us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road. For information about service times, church ministries, and so much more, visit us online at firstchurchclt.com. If you would like to help support our efforts, please text Give to 704-445-5353. We pray God's richest blessings to you. Come, worship with us.